0: Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 127, March 2020. Our guest this month is Vivian Lermond. Vivian is a playwright, an actor, a producing artistic director, and a teacher. She also evaluates script pitches and screenplay submissions for Gallagher Literary, a Los Angeles talent management company, and is also a script analysis specialist for stage plays at afilmwriter.com. And as I mentioned, she has taught playwriting at Columbus State Community College. And because I'm always interested to hear how people teach playwriting, that's what I figured we'd start with. Okay, one, one of the things that I, I really kicked in uh, when I was researching you was that you, uh, you're a teacher and you taught playwriting. Uh, I believe it was Columbus State Community College, if I have that correct. Correct. Uh, I've done uh, stage directing courses myself, and I love working with community college kids. So yeah. um, as a teacher, as a, as a playwriting teacher... What do you focus on in your course? I mean, what's what's important for you to get across to these kids above everything else, and what kind of work are they turning in? I'd be very interested to know what exactly these kids feel important enough to write about.
1: Okay, well, in our situation at Columbus State, we, of course, didn't have an associate's degree in In theater, but we definitely had students that wanted to go on, perhaps, and transfer to, say, Ohio State University or Otterbein, if they're musically inclined. So, basically, the idea was, is that an actor can really benefit from understanding what goes into the crafting of a play, and certainly, a playwright is uh, reversed can understand much better how to write a good one if they've been an actor.
0: (laughs) One would hope so, so, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. But so most of my students were involved in taking the acting courses and then took the playwriting course as an elective. From time to time, you'd have a student that just thought, Oh well, this is going to be a piece of cake, and then of course they found out that that wasn't going to be the case. Yeah, so, that's
0: that's a cruel yeah. wake up. I, I, I had one actor tell me, "Why don't you just churn this stuff out?"
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and so, but one of the you know focal points for all of my work in terms of learning how to craft a play is to. Have to write them, and in some cases, in a collaborative process with other students in your group, since theater is collaboration or should be. It is, and so we, you know, we would always do, for example, a five-minute play. So my focus of my course was all on the writing and the thinking versus let me find a textbook. So, you know, I saved the students money, and and we got down to the nitty-gritty pretty quickly. So the five-minute play was definitely on there and learning how to write a monologue because that's a story in and of itself and it has a beginning, middle, and an end. And they, they did very well. And then what we would do at the end of the term was work with the instructor who taught the acting classes and then have the acting students perform the playwright students' work. So it was a nice a little montage of working with, with talent. And it was rather surprising to see how creative people could be. Now sometimes if you had someone who wasn't an acting student, I remember one time we have a program in Ohio called the Golden Seniors and they can enroll to it was over 62 in any class for free. So I remember one time I did have a woman who was in her sixties, and that was challenging for her group because these are all students that are eighteen to sure, twenty-five, yeah. perhaps.
0: Bit of an age difference there.
1: And yes, so but I told them I said you're really gifted because you're you're having a different perspective, and that's what collaboration is about. It's not uh, you know a solo act here. You're you're writing this together, so. It was fun. It was a challenge at times because not mm. all students as we both know are driven to, you know, excel. They just want to take something and get by.
0: And not all playwrights are bent towards collaboration either.
1: No, and because, you know, our our profession is rather solo and and but we we have to understand that at least in those early stages It's really good to banter around. And I'm sure you work with other playwrights that come up with an idea and you say, well, have you thought about this?
0: Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah.
1: And so they have to learn that that's important because we all know when the from the page to stage situation takes place, then we come into a whole different conglomeration of individuals. Who see their theatrical focus as a solo opportunity versus a teamwork situation?
0: hmm So, what are these kids writing about? I mean, what, what, what kind of what kind of issues? What, what kind of issues and topics are these kids coming back with when they do their writing? Because if they're going to if they're going to well, write about something, it's got to be important. No,
1: I, I tell them that I would prefer they write comedy. I just thought that comedy would be easier for them. And so we would try to do, you know, we'd start out with, uh, and I've done a lot of writing workshops. I have one, in fact, coming up, you know, the art of writing the short form play. But uh, teaching them structure and how meaningful dialogue is and right. what I call the naming ceremony. You know, what are your characters' names? And what do those names say about them? I mean, somebody named Devlin is probably not going to be a cowboy. <laughs> you know, well, you think of the name Rusty and you think of someone well, rustic, you know. So True. So we, you know, go through those parameters and have a little worksheet, you know, that they can kind of get their ideas together.
0: Yeah. What so about they, in your own work is is uh, is it tricky for you to come but, up with names for your own characters?
1: No, you know, they 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 sort of float around in my head and again a lot of it has to do with their ethnic background uh, I'm, I'm really a writer who enjoys writing dialect so uh-huh. um, you know those are things that I consider so if if the play is set in the south and you have southerners then the naming should be characters that kind of connote a southerner and like this Beaumont or is, something
0: you know, yeah
1: you know, Beauregard. Beauregard. So, Beauregard. And, so, that is kind of where I take that. So, for my own work, and it's interesting, I go through stages, but, I really like writing dialects. I think it's very challenging for actors and one of the shortcomings of that is I've submitted works to different theaters and the Written back and said, "Oh, we really love the play, but w- nobody showed up for auditions that could possibly do this dialect." Ah, so you, you run yeah. into yeah. yeah, So, so you run into those challenges, and but I, I like because I was raised in New York State, and my parents were born and raised in New York City. I, I really like working with that East Coast dialect and uh, Southern dialects and Irish dialects. And and language syntax, yeah. which is huge, because as a, as American writers, we write a particular way, and we don't consider the phraseology of other dialects, right.
0: English dialects. I mean, there are so, dialects that are that are highly, un, you know, you can't understand them if you come from a different dialect. And the East Coast oh. runs everything oh, from yes. the Gorton's fishermen to. These, that, and those in the in in Brooklyn. Right,
1: right, and yeah, it reminds me actually. of, I think it was Jimmy Kimball, but he had two actors, two female actors on. One was did the 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 Brooklyn girls from uh, Saturday Night Live skits, and uh-huh. the other was J Lo and she was from the Bronx and they were trying to explain the difference in their dialects. It was really hilarious, you know, it was fun. But yeah, so it's just understanding that and and doing some research and if you have an acting background, talking it out to see the rhythm. Because to me there definitely is rhythm in in language and in the way characters present themselves. And it's important. Sure, it is. Yeah. They come across that way because that's, that's how we come to that whole you know, willing suspension of uh, disbelief.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, well, it's, it's a so. subliminal thing. When you hear somebody speak you know, in n- normal day to day life, you can tell when they're trying to impress you. You can tell when they're using dialect or words that are not typical for them. And when you see somebody on stage who's misspeaking or over-speaking or speaking in a way that is clumsy, you can tell that the playwright has tried too hard to make this person a certain character instead of listening to what they're saying.
1: Agreed. that That is very true. And I think this is particularly true if somebody gets their hand on a script from the U.K., and they, especially in community theater, that they're going to try and do some sort of Cockney accent.
0: Uh, yeah, been there. <laughs>
1: so, and it's it's like no, that's not that's not who they are. That's yeah. just, you know so. So basically, I think that's where the playwright comes in and says to the director, look, you know, I'd like a Northern English dialect or, you know, I'd like a South London or go to the library, in other words, and find yourself some dialect tapes.
0: Like a Geordie or a Yorkshire or something like that.
1: Yes, yes. And so, and you get into that, too, with, with Irish dialects. And I said, you know, the... The way a story is written the dialogue is written should tell you how much emphasis you should be putting on the words and go from there Right. so it's that can be very challenging for some groups but to me it just adds texture and dimension to characters because we all talk like where we came from pretty sure. much. Yeah. And, and you know, know they're identifying, do. yeah well yeah. and and I do too, so and one of the one of the things I also taught public speaking for many years at the college, and I would tell them, you know, you could tell the difference between general American, which is what they speak in the Midwest right. and at the East Coast. by the way, they say three words, oh, so yeah. I would spell the word, yeah, and they'd pronounce Mary. Mary, Mary. And I said, no. If you're from the East Coast, it's Mary, Mary, and Mary. Yeah. So, so it's it's just those little nuances that, as yeah. a writer, we, we hope the actors will create.
0: So as a no playwright... Tea, but, yeah. I mean, yeah. As, as a playwright, when you're writing dialectical dialogue, okay... Do you write it out in standard American English, or do you write it out phonetically in some cases? In a sense, telling the the actors how to sing. I
1: I always write it out in in standard English because, uh, for for example, uh, if we are coming from being raised on the East Coast, we would say to somebody, where are you going? Or, you know, where are you? And in the Midwest and the South, they say, where are you at? Yeah. So it's, it's those subtleties that I think can, can give the hint. Again, so we, we go to the rhythm. And so, and I think it's true when, when you look at Brooklyn or uh, the Bronx, Mm-hmm. Uh, they tend to add in uh, prepositions. So, in other words, they'll say, uh, there, there's a line in a, a, a play of mine that's set in Brooklyn, and the, it's the husband always dresses up as Dracula for Halloween. And, and so the wife says, would you stop with the Dracula? It's always you and the Dracula. Yeah. So, so that that's,
0: sounds know, like my not, old neighborhood, not, yeah.
1: Right. So it's it's not that emphasis just the words alone should give them the rhythm of right. where we're going with that cuz they never say that in the Midwest. They'd say, "Why do you always dress up like Dracula?" Period. Yeah. Question more. Why
0: <laughs> We were so we were a lot more it, expressive where I grew up, you know. It's it's we always ended up throwing six or seven more sentences in what we were saying anyway because that's what we were doing, you know. That's <laughs>
1: right. I know. So I think it's it's a gift to to give that experience as a writer to yeah. to to people that live everywhere, and uh, you know I have a lot of my work done in the UK, and they really. The actors say, oh, I just I just love working on this. I, I love working on this American uh, dialogue. Because over there, they'll say, like, whilst you were sleeping, mm. as opposed to while. You know, yeah. so it's it's little subtle things like that that are, you know, you could tell. You don't want to be able to tell where the writer's from.
0: Right. <laughs> so, the, telltale genuine character. notes of the character. So Right, right. I, in, in addition to, so, to, to writing your own you know, your own work, you also evaluate other people's work. Um, yes. Yeah, and, and I noticed that you work for you know a talent uh, talent management company where you do screenplays uh-huh. and and pitches and such like that. And you've also worked with a filmwriter dot com, where you're yes. a screen a script analysis specialist. How did you fall into this? Correct.
1: Well. It was kind of interesting. I just one day decided, uh, as I tend to do, that I wanted to try my hand at writing screenplays because you know how it is with the stage, especially the modern-day stage and modern-day budget capabilities, is that you're not going to have big scene changes in a black box theater. So everything is basically a single-unit set. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun to be able to just every five minutes have them somewhere else? <laughs>
0: so, sure, yeah. so that
1: kind of you know, that kind of inspired me to try my hand on it. And I was looking for places I could potentially send my work to and that's how I got on to the the lit management company and I noticed that they were calling for you know, readers. And I thought, boy, you know, there's no better way to help focus on your own structure and getting it right than to read somebody else's and they had a very um in Hollywood they have a very very strict guidelines in terms of when things happen it's very formulaic and sure we're talking like the Sid
0: Fields kind of weeks. thing yeah. yeah
1: and so and so i just applied and He sent me a sample script to analyze with the script analysis format that they use, and so I just started to do it, and it helped my writing tremendously, and one of the the vice president at the time of the company asked me if I also wanted to read for her, but she was particularly interested in expanding her scope to stage plays, and so that's how I edged into that. But it's it's just been a wonderful tool to make me double check my own work based on having those experiences. But it's also very challenging to try to explain to writers who are not submitting work that's going to get a recommend or even a consider yeah. and, and that don't understand structure or. Plot points or any of those things, but it's it's really the same structure that we use. You know, if we want to go back to Aristotle, I mean, it's the same mm-hmm. sure. structure, but it's elongated because they're longer works usually. I mean, right. a, a regular you know, comedy is about ninety pages on the screen, and or a drama can go up to hundred and twenty, but after that, nobody wants to read it. So um it's just too long for today's market
0: well yeah that's that's another topic,
1: yes, yes, so people's ability to you know focus mentally
0: yeah. so
1: so all of those things I think have been um, a real gift to me because they've taught me to evaluate my own work closer, and that's important because you I think we have to. Kinds of people, George. I think we have the writer that thinks everything they write is terrible, and they refuse to send it out anywhere <laughs> to get a judgment on it.
0: Uh, that's <laughs> me on Wednesdays and Fridays. Yes.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> and then you have the people that that think they they they're terrific, and they should be have their work go up on Broadway tomorrow. And they're yeah. the ones that you, you have to be rather delicate with. And. Uh, one of the things that's really awkward, and I refrain from doing it most times, uh, if someone who is a writer comes to you and says, I really like you to read this and tell me what you think. Oh, boy. Yes. Oh.
0: So, Do you really so, want me to read this and really tell you what I think?
1: Well, and I, I, I try to be extremely diplomatic if yeah. it's not good, but. I usually say well these these are the 10 things I always ask myself. This is my list of 10 that's my checklist. I'm sending it to you. You go through your script and see if you before you ever send it to me have accomplished these things. So that's you know that's sort of how it works and sometimes it's nice to yeah. have someone I don't normally send my scripts to people to check them out. I figure, if it's good and I submit it places and it gets done, there's my answer. Right. And if right and and if nobody wants to do it, you think, boy, I better take a look at this. this is
0: fine. <laughs> Hey kids, thanks for tuning in to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 127, March 2020. Our guest is Vivian Lermond, a playwright, actor, producing artistic director, and teacher. Right now, we're getting into that oh so subjective subject of talking to playwrights about how good their play is. We all know it's easy when you think the play is worthy, but how do you give feedback when you're not so sure the work you're responding to is, yeah, in your own estimation, of course, maybe less than stellar? Well, I've, 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 I've always found it's, it's, it's a crapshoot when you come to sending things out. Um, and I think, irregardless of how good or bad it is, because there's a lot of really bad plays out there, in my estimation okay I agree. that that other people just love ridiculously so i don't know it's i i know what that means but i mean as someone who's written a book on workshopping and collaboration and putting your script up for development and comment i've always found it to be at least in my case and i i say this only for me because there are playwrights out there who are amazingly successful who don't do this but I just love to get the feedback before I throw this thing on stage because I can't run around talking to the, you know, everybody in the audience in, right. you know, in to find out what was good, what was bad, where'd I lose them, da da da, this, that, and the other thing. Um,
1: well, I I agree that we need to do that, and one of the the big problems, and I think this is. Much more the case with full-length work Sure. Yeah. That you you, you want you know my whole thing is want to do first of all have a table read, and then you'll get the you'll get a sense of what's not working mm-hmm. from the actors, and then go back and make whatever changes or if you have some great brainstorm that something you want to add then that would be the point to do it. Then once you do that, then you can have a staged reading and get feedback from a different group of actors right. and an audience
0: Sure, yeah. that's
1: going to be honest. And then you could try after you've done all that and feel, okay, I think I've addressed the issues that did not appear to be working for me. And I think I'm ready to send this out now and then send it out. Yeah. But uh, a lot of it has to do with personality I, mm-hmm. I think you know what whoever the ad is reading it yeah uh, i always and i'm sure you do too go out to their website if they have one and get some information look at the pictures i mean if everybody if everybody in their ensemble is in their 20s and this is a script that calls for actors over 40 well that's not going to work i mean right. it, it could be great but it's not great for them and so many times our fellow playwrights will, will feel so horribly rejected and go through this whole rejection mode of depression. It's, it's not that their work was bad. As yeah. you say, it just wasn't right for that group.
0: Yeah, or it wasn't and, the right day. I mean, it's I've been on right? the... I'm,
1: or the right reader. Exactly. Uh, and that's, some, yeah. that's, that's another whole thing that we could probably get into and talk for like miles and miles but the whole thing of where are the readers coming from? Right. If they're volunteers at a community theater, for example, they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know, like, how, how are these words going to transcend? Where's the subtext for the actors to play with? Because, by and large, we really do write for actors. Yes, we do. So, you know, and, and so if an actor reads it and says, I love this play. I have to do this play. I need to be in this play. <laughs> then you think, I did my job.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: so many actors or so many writers don't have a sensibility about acting. They write. Right. And so then what happens is the dialogue becomes cumbersome. The people don't talk in paragraphs. This is one of my sure. big things that I always... Tell people, you know, they send you a script, and each person talks for five minutes and then responds. I mean, we don't talk like that to each other. No, we don't. No, we interrupt each other like crazy.
0: Get...
1: Well, uh, exactly. Or, yeah. or we grunt a response, or uh-huh. you know.
0: So, I mean, it, I, I find it it's takes... always great for playwrights to have that kind of previous experience to have acted for a while, or to have other yes. theater experience because. You can't just write in a vacuum. It's exactly like you're saying. You can't write according to some idea of something in your head that has no experiential past. You have to know what it's like to be on stage to do a monologue, well, to interact with other people. I mean, doing Mamet is is a perfect example.
1: Oh yes, uh huh. And, and you know the other the other giant monologue writer. Uh, Alan Bennett in the UK. Yeah. I mean, they're basically one person shows, but a great storyteller. And so understanding what makes a great story, and if you're, and I, I do like writing monologues, and I've been writing a lot of them, but this is something that I'm thinking well, if I was an actor, would this two minute monologue make it for me? Does it give me enough meat to tell a story and deliver the emotion behind it? Yeah. Because that's what an actor wants. Sure. So we go back, you know, we go back to that. We go back to, okay, what can I give an actor? That's what, you know, not like, well, this is a brilliant piece of literature. (laughs) And, and, well in that case then write a novel you
0: well, know? It's, it's two different things it could be a brilliant piece of literature but it's not something you want to see performed on a stage
1: right and, and an actor if they're having a hard time and uh, this is something an actor told me recently she said I know I love your word because it it makes it's easy to memorize because it's natural yeah <laughs> and so we're not about you know, people aren't about well-structured sentences when they're talking. They're they're talking. They're uh, and I would tell acting students when they would struggle and you'd see like they they're delivering these lines like they're some sort of robot. Yeah. I, no, no. Yeah. You, you you should the audience should feel like you're hunting for the next word. Like you're looking for it in your head, they're like, "Oh, well." Mm-hmm. So you know, it's uh, it's all of that, and of course, all creatives of all dimensions and uh, sizes and ability, and so when when you put that all together, and then put people in a the theater, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's always challenging, I think, for a director to take this crew of people at varying levels of experience, if yep. we're talking...
0: Oh, sure, community theater, theater right there.
1: And, and have them put on an even performance. And so, and for the playwright, it's, it's the same thing. It's yeah. like, oh boy, you know, those two are great. Ooh, the other one. Wow, that's not working so well. <laughs> and,
0: that happens.
1: And so... Yeah. You know, these are uh, war stories. I'm sure that if we got a room full of theater people together, we'd have a heyday. We'd have to book a hotel for a week. <laughs> uh,
0: only a week, really. That's optimistic. Let's let's <laughs> yeah. let, let's let's piggyback off of this onto um, something. We were talking about community theater there a little bit, and community theater companies are they're tricky things to, to, to deal with, to create, to manage, to manage successfully for a period of time. And I notice you've yeah. written about business sense, theater management, and in particular, you, you chalk it up to a right brain, left brain imbalance. Um, yeah, can you, can, know, can you uh, expound think... on this for a couple of minutes?
1: Oh, sure. I, I call it, TFC theater fiscal cognizance <laughs> because theater's have to have a right brain left brain balance because theater is a business yeah. and to be successful you need to generate off stage money to make on stage magic sure and, and this is where theater's really fall short. You know, we all know the artistic director's focus is on the creative side of the theater landscape, but really what a theater company, especially a startup theater company, should be focused on is a producing director. It doesn't have to be their exact title, but basically someone who oversees realistic production budgets and those basically mundane, non theatrical tasks called operating expenses.
0: Yes, I've heard of those. They they make lights go on and things like that.
1: Yes. Yes. And overseeing the grant writing, uh, soliciting private donors, fundraising, establishing fundraising Mm. initiatives. Yeah. And the other part that is very poor from all my experience with boards is Working to build a board of directors from the business community, who can bring their right brain business cognizance to the board table.
0: How does one do that? How does one build a successful board?
1: Well, okay. So, (laughs) from my experience of being on boards that are not successful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um. Unfortunately, there needs to be kind of policy changes which won't please everybody because, unfortunately, a lot of people sign up on a board for two basic reasons. One, they see themselves as a creative, like an actor or director or a playwright, getting some sort of inroad into that theater company for personal gain. And the, the second reason they may do it is they are a business person, but they just want something community service on the resume. Right. So so these to me are the two big issues, but one of the things, and I suggested this to a theater company quite recently who is in a startup phase, and everybody on the board is an actor and they don't have any business experience. So they're picking plays based on which ones they want to be in. Sure. Versus what the community would want. And they've just, you know, rented space for $2,500 a month and signed a three-year contract. And I don't know how that's going to happen with a 55 seat theater.
0: Uh, seventy-three dollars a ticket.
1: Right. Well, they charge twenty, but it's not like you're going to be packing the house, and so the you know that to me basically is how do you how do you build a board? Well, the, yeah. you need to do it delicately, and you need to set terms, term limits. You know, just tell them, okay, you're going to serve for two years and and bring your best to the table and whatever professional skills or specific skills that you have, we'd like to look at those. So we have a a balanced board of talent. And so, you know, maybe you'd like to have a lawyer on the board or a CPA or an accountant Mm -hmm. or somebody who can do
0: all the things I have no idea how to do.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, And so, the, the whole artisan element of theater is always really strong. But the, the reality of theater, which is the financial end of things, it, and that's the other thing. Even a community theater, I think if a person wants to serve in the capacity of a board member, that there should be some sort of buy-in that says this is a commitment for yeah. me. It doesn't have to be, you know, $5,000. Most boards that I'm aware of, it's at least about 1000 some 250 But it says, look, if you're not interested in putting up $250, I don't know where, like, how strong is the commitment. Sure. And they, you know, they could do, uh, that $250 could be service. They could be a major marketing person in town who's going to take on the marketing for yeah. you. But, um, yeah, so, but it takes gumption, George, mm-hmm. to, to oh, tell yeah. a board that's been sitting there doing nothing for years on end, but, you know, they're a co-founder or their grandmother is. and I, was, yeah. But just to say, look, you know, you served your time, you did it well, and we we need to expand our board and have at least 10 people on here. And seven of those people should have a business background and have nothing to do with theater.:
0: That's hard to put together.
1: It is. but that, that you know, might it take. A couple, done, it,
0: that might take months to t- put together.
1: Well, even if it took a year yeah,, I, you know, I, and I, I, I told theater people, if you're thinking about starting a theater company, you don't start with an artistic director. You start with the producing director. You go around, you talk to people, you go in with a business plan and a set-up budget, expectations of seasons, you put together a plan and you work the plan.
0: Sure.
1: You just don't say, you want to be on the board?
0: <laughs> no, you, you have, to, how how you how have to walk up to people with something in hand. I mean, if they're going to be on a board for a, 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 a theater community that you're putting together, you have to show them that you've done your homework. You have to show them that there is something already there for them yes. to consider worthy enough to lend their time, their effort, their talents, and their money.
1: Yes, yeah. and their money. And their money. And, you know, this is a you know, hand experience. Uh, I had mentioned to you, I believe, that that I spearheaded a group, a theater group here in town called the Irish Theater Project.
0: Right, which you am going to get it, to next. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and so I you know, I saw a need in this uh, women's organization I belonged to at the time that we needed to establish a college scholarship for scholastic excellence for the women in our group and or their daughters. Mm. And there was, you know, certain criteria and this and that and and they said, "Well, what would it give them like five hundred a year?" I said, "Well, that wouldn't even buy the textbooks for a semester." Yeah. No, we're going to give them twenty-five. Well, how are we going to do that? So, you know, I went to the board and I presented everything and how I was going to do it, and the startup money was going to be six thousand dollars, because I believe even in a community theater environment, in paying people.
0: Sure. Well, yeah, so absolutely. Yes.
1: You know, give them gas money or something. Uh, Exactly. Yes. And so and then I also I wanted to hire um, uh, an equity director who was fabulous and I trusted her and she knew what she was doing. And so they everyone on the board just looked so startled. And the president at the time said, if Vivian says she can raise six thousand dollars, she will raise six thousand dollars. So, of course, I did, and mm-hmm. um, we did six shows a year for five years, and I set 99-seat equity theater because I had that equity actor, right. and that was the lowest, you know, scale. So, we did that, and so our profit after all expenses and paying everybody for those 30 performances was $65,000. Each show cost about 5000 but I also wrote grants, and... And did all that, so I got everything covered. But the the profit we made to put in the bank for the scholarship over that five years was sixty-five thousand dollars. You know, and so the thing of it is, I had to wear all these hats. You know, I was the producing director, the marketer, the this and that. And I had someone who was an equity uh, former artistic director here in Columbus uh, ask me to have lunch. And he came every year for five years. He always came to the last show. Um, the Sunday matinee, and I sold out every show. Every su- every show, all thirty shows were sold out. And so he said, "I, I want to know how do you do that?" Because every time it's standing room only. And see? I said, "Well, I call people." He said, "On the phone?" Like <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Well, that's the I."
0: That's, yeah. Yeah.
1: that's the only way I know how to do it. You have a, I don't have like aluminum hats I wear to contact the aliens. I don't know. So he was just very intrigued yeah. by the fact that I would do that. And I said, well, um, people like to be invited. And in this day and age, of course, it's everything's event invites, which are yeah. fine, but nobody does any follow-up. They just put them out there. And to this day, if I still want to do something, I call those people. I it's, get them on the phone.
0: It's always more work than anybody believes to make it look like it took no work at all.
1: Exactly. it is. Yeah. But if you want it done right, you, you have to give the 110%. Sure. You can't give 50 and and think that people are magically going to show up and take seats in the theater.
0: No, because that's not what happens. So what kind of work did uh, did the Irish Theatre Project uh, produce?
1: Well, what we did was people would submit from Columbus, and they, they had to be short plays, like 20 minutes or less, and about an Irish theme. And it couldn't be, you know, the leprechauns are coming. I mean, it would have to be something substantial. They would have had to have done their research and so on. Right so over the years we you know we i had a couple in each time and other people but it gave writers in columbus an opportunity to, to have a vehicle for their work to get done that they could see and it was good because we were an irish american organization so we were you know catering to the crowd so to speak so it, it gave a lot of people opportunity, and it, it certainly the end result was there was a lot of girls over the years that are still getting those scholarships because sure. of uh, of what was done. Short plays were good because people would say, "Oh, I really like that." I, there was one I did one play it was called High Tea, and it was all mined, the whole thing. It was three women in their seventies in a pub. And it was all set to music. So all of their antics and everything were set to music. There was one man that came to all six shows just to see that one.
0: Wow. Nice.
1: And he, and he, he laughed as hard the, first, the last time as he did the first time. It was like he was seeing it again for the first time, you know. But, but I think that's the thing. I mean, you, yeah. you have to, you know, know your audience. And in, in that particular case it was definitely, you know, the Irish community in Columbus, which is a pretty large community. And so it it all it all worked.
0: Yeah. That's great. That's absolutely wonderful. To make you know, to make something last like that and to be so productive and to have such good response from the community. It's what everybody dreams about.
1: Well, and you know, it's it's there, but again we go back to that. Theater fiscal cognizance. You, you, yeah. you have to have a plan, know exactly what everything's going to cost, not go over budget, mm-hmm. get things volunteered. It's and, a business. All of those of it is. It's it a is. business. And so, yeah. And that's where so many, uh, it, it's almost as if for theater majors they should include a course, yes. not taught by an academic. But taught by uh, someone that's gone through the school of hard knocks and and truly understand what theaters need to work. They uh,
0: should a have a few, course in it. A few universities do. I have seen uh, theater management on several of, of the uh, the course listings for theater colleges, theater universities, and
1: well, that that's terrific.
0: Yeah. No, I, 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 it's absolutely critical I mean, to understand well, how and, this thing and, works. You have, you have to, you have to understand. You have to know how.
1: Right, and, and I think a lot of acting students that are, you know, that are focused on that creative side of theater probably won't sign up for the course because they think, "Well, I'm not ever going to be doing that." And then 15 years from now, they find themselves like, "Oh boy, I should have taken that course."
0: Make it a requirement. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Make it a requirement. It should be. Absolutely. It, yeah,
1: I, would, I, would, I would agree. That, <laughs> that would be something that we really need to see.
0: Sure. Theater is a business. Vivian Lamont, this has been it absolutely is. wonderful chatting with you. And thank you so well, you much too, for taking the time to be here. This is great.
1: Well, I've really enjoyed it. And the time has certainly flown by. Yes,
0: it has. It always does with good conversation. Thank you so much.
1: You're
0: welcome. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage Off Stage. On Stage Offstage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at On Offstage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet or know of someone in the theater world, Who'd make some great chat? Please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage Offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you.